The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools, an investor seeking promising ag tech startups, or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. At the end of the day, you can't lose sight of the fact that your company lives or dies based on the quality of the food that is produced, you know, at each of the endpoints on that network, right, that gets sold from each of the farms. You know, we can geek out about data science all day long, but the best meetings for me are, you know, the monthly product sample meetings, right, where we sit down with team members and chefs and other people whose palate that we trust and, uh, you know, just eat food and talk about what experience that kind of elicits for us. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 7. Regular folks, regular listeners, everyone who's been here before, welcome back. I'm so appreciative of you coming back week after week to share in these lovely conversations with these fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. And if this is your first time, by all means, I'm rolling out that green welcome mat for you as well. I really appreciate the fact that you found us, that you are joining this conversation, that you're joining this vertical farming party that we throw every single week. And I hope you stick around. I hope you come back for future episodes. Any and all feedback is welcome all the time. Harry at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. If you missed last week's episode, we had an interesting conversation with Henry Ernst. He's the assessment manager at Control Union UK. We had a great chat with Henry about plant protection, renewable energy use, sustainability, and the importance of educating consumers on vertical farming. It's great to see the standardization work that's happening at Control Union for this industry. And Henry's insight was really helpful. So if you want to learn more about what's happening there, by all means, check that episode out. This week, we have a return guest. It's Tobias Peggs. He's the CEO and co-founder of Square Roots. If you're keeping track and you are a regular listener, you'll know that Tobias was a guest all the way back on season two, episode 14. And he was one of the earlier guests for this show. And obviously anyone who's been on early gets a special note of thanks from me for taking a chance on a young show. So if you want the two-parter, listen to episode 14 with Tobias, and then we get the follow-up today. And I'm glad his team reached out and we were able to coordinate this. 
Tobias returns to share the company's innovative approach to creating a more sustainable and resilient business and how that's manifesting in their sustainability initiatives. He highlights the company's focus on reducing carbon emissions and environmentally friendly packaging, as well as the importance of staying strong and focused on delivering products that customers want. Tobias encourages his peers in the industry to join Square Roots and paving the way towards a more sustainable future. This is a really great chat. I'm really happy to come back on and get a second perspective. I feel guests are a bit more relaxed maybe the second time around, or I'm more relaxed, or it's a combination of both. And I think that comes across in these interviews. I'm excited to have you listen. If you're loving the show, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'm itching to read some of these out on a future episode. I think there's some that's been coming in, so I have to look through the emails. But by all means, if you are a regular listener, and if you are a new listener, obviously after you've listened to the episode, if you like it, ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Okay, before we jump into this uninterrupted conversation with Tobias, here are a few words from the folks that support this show. This episode is brought to you by Indoor AgCon 2023. I'm so happy to have been working with the team last year. Indoor AgCon 2022 was my very first indoor farming conference. So it was really eye-opening for me. So I'll always be grateful to the team there for rolling out the carpet for me. <laughs> and I uh, really had a good time meeting a lot of past guests and excited to join them again this year. Entering its 10th year in a row, it's the largest trade show and conference for vertical farming and CEA, and it's returning to Caesars Forum Conference Center in Las Vegas on February 27th and 28th of 2023. Once again, they'll be co-located with the National Growers Association show as well, which is a really good fit for them. The conference keeps growing, and this year it's doubled in size. The expo floor now has more than 170 booths filled with new product resources and solutions to explore. You'll hear from experts, including CEOs, growers, investors, and others in the field during this full-scale educational conference. As always, you'll be able to connect with peers, grocers, and other potential new business partners at their great networking events. I haven't even gotten to the best part. The team at Indoor AgCon has given listeners of this show 20% off their full access conference pass. All you have to do is use promo code VFP, as in Vertical Farming Podcast, and sign up at indoor.ag. See you there. This year, Vertiform takes place from September 26th through September 28th at the Exhibition Center in Dortmund, Germany. For those new to Vertiform, it's the most significant trade fair for next-level farming and new food systems. Their international platform is set to showcase the latest developments in innovative controlled production systems for vegetables, salad crops, herbs, and microgreens, as well as sustainable fish, insect breeding, fruit cultivation, and medicinal plants. Vertifarm is shaping the future of vertical farming and new food systems. Reserve your ticket and learn more at vertifarm.de. That's V-E-R-T-I-F-A-R-M dot D-E. So Tobias, thank you for joining me for round two of the Vertical Farming Podcast. I was taking a look back at the calendar and the publication date. Your first conversation, our first conversation was back in uh, November of 2020. <laughs> November of 2020. Okay. We were in COVID. Yes. And I think you were at a friend's farm, if I remember correctly. You were staying somewhere. Yeah. It's honestly very hard to remember. The last I'm sure. three years for sure have been <laughs> a bit of a blur. I'm sure it's the same for everybody. What you say is probably right. <laughs> we won't hold you to anything that's there. And that's episode episode 14, I think. So we'll make sure we'll link to for folks to get some reference there. But a lot has happened since then. I'm glad we had a face-to-face. -face. We very briefly at uh, Indoor Ag Tech NYC, 
I think. Uh, yeah, back in the summer, chat. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what have you been up to? Like, what's your travel looking like lately? I think now that everything's semi back to normal, I myself have made it to three conferences. I was in Dubai last month, <laughs> courtesy of the the cultivated team at AgriMe. Got to see a lot of folks there as well. So, what have you been up to travel wise? Travel-wise, actually, well, I mean, at Square Roots, we've opened three new farms this summer in the Midwest. So I've been traveling a lot there, Wisconsin, Ohio, Kentucky. And then on a personal level, I was actually in the UK last week. You know, obviously, you can hear from my accent that that's where I grew up. And my parents actually live in a very kind of remote and rural area, Cornwall, down in the southwest of the country. Essentially, that's like surfing beaches and farmland. So uh, whenever I go down there, I always like to go to, you know, some of the local farms that have also got restaurants and, you know, sort of hospitality facilities on premises. And we always go and sort of eat locally grown food down there. And it's absolutely amazing. When you go back, how much do you have to bring folks up to speed, family up to speed on what you've been up to, educating them on, you know, I imagine the topic of conversation is, you know, so Tobias, tell us the latest about <laughs> vertical farming, what's happening and how much of that do you have to like bring it down to a level where you can explain to them what's happening. I just asked because I was having this conversation with my partner about container farms and she's like, talk to me like I'm like your grandmother, <laughs> like explain everything what? that's happening. You know what? It's pretty amazing actually. So, you know, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but, you know, I started work or, you know, left university and started work in the first dot-com era. You know, and so my first jobs were, you know, building websites or whatever it was. And, and that actually was a very difficult thing for my family to understand. They didn't have a clue. I mean, I remember having a conversation with my grandmother and, and she was like, what do you actually make and sell? And I was like, well, attention and advertising. It was right. That's right. Whereas indoor farm is like pretty easy to wrap your head around. Right? It's like, oh, okay, you grow local food. And you have to do it indoors because the outdoors is increasingly fucked with climate change. Okay, we get it. So it's actually a pretty easy thing for people to understand. And also in Cornwall, in the southwest of England, I guess it's got to be 20 years old at this point, a project called Eden Works, which is, or the Eden Gardens, I think it's called, which is in essence a massive indoor, it's not so much a vertical farm, but it's a huge biodome. And when I'm saying huge, I mean, like in American terms, you know, like 25 football fields. And that, and so people, you know, and that's like a massive tourist attraction in that part of the country. So people go and walk into this biodome and then experience different climates from around the world and are able to see all of the plants growing from all over the world. And, you know, in essence, that's what we're doing in indoor vertical farming, right? You're recreating some climate from around the world that's optimized to grow a certain crop and people in that part of England are very, very familiar with that concept. So I have a much easier ride in England than I do in New York City when I'm explaining what Square Roots is. So given recent news, I think most folks listening are well aware of InFarm's recent layoffs, the closing of Fifth Season. I'm curious where you think we are when you think about the maturity of vertical farming, how the industry has grown, you know, bumps along the way some really high points as well and some of these low points but i'm curious where you think about it and maybe if you can compare it to other industries and where you see like where are we now in terms of like the maturity of indoor farming and you know where do you think there's opportunities to learn from what we've seen and what's happened so far 
Yeah, so you're not going to start with any soft questions. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just a curious you know, your thoughts because it's top of mind for folks, you know, because... 100%, yeah. I mean, joking aside, you're completely right now. I was actually talking with someone about this last week and, you know, I mentioned that when I started work, it was in that first dot-com era. And so I went through the first dot-com bubble bursting. And I think, you know, it's different, but it's tempting to draw parallels there. You know, when I, I've often talked actually about indoor farming, it sort of feels to me like the mid 90s internet where, you know, you turn up conferences and it was kind of, you know, full of geeks and nerds and, you know, people hadn't quite figured out the business model yet. You know, everybody in the room knew that the internet was inevitable, but you couldn't quite yet see, you know, how that would shape out, right? And who would be the winning companies. And it was just, you know, people trying to get stuff off the ground that had never been done before. And, you know, I've often talked about indoor farming to me right now, sort of feeling the same way. And, you know, I think in tech, there's the Gartner hype cycle, right, which, you know, I'm assuming you and most of your listeners are going to be familiar with, you know, when there's no doubt, right, that indoor farming was kind of at the sort of, you know, peak of inflated expectations, to use that terminology. And, you know, once you're there, right, you head into what's known as a trough of disillusionment, right, where, you know, the kind of, you know, people start to ask the harder questions, right, about unit economics and sort of, you know, company resilience and long-term plans and culture. And, you know, those times are, are sort of pretty challenging. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of what's happening. I think that, you know, those are not the only one, right? There are a number of people that I know in indoor farming who actually have very similar sort of backgrounds and have been through some of these cycles in other industries before. You know, I think we've sort of known from day one that, you know, if you don't have your unit economic kind of ready and you're rock solid, then this is going to be kind of a pretty hard slog. And uh, I think that, you know, the industry itself is going through that Gartner hype cycle, but the sort of, you know, downward trajectory into the trough of disillusionment, the sort of speed with which the, the industry is sort of, you know, plummeting down there right now is probably amplified by wider macroeconomic conditions. I mean, every investor is worried about recession and, you know, you're very worried about energy prices because of the war in Ukraine and etc so yeah i mean it's pretty wild right now and you know sort of what i'm saying to my team what i'm saying to everybody else is we know what we got to focus on we're opening new farms you know every single farm has got better technology better unit economics the you know business operations get more and more efficient the culture's good we got to kind of ignore the external noise and keep our eye on the price right? because at the end of the day the demand for locally grown food that is pesticide free that uses way less land and way less water than outdoor food, sorry, than outdoor farming, you know, that demand is not going away. And, uh, you know, I think the next couple of years, yeah, sure, right, they're going to be a few sort of headline grabbing companies that maybe don't make it. But this is where the strong companies emerge and the best business models are formed. And, you know, now's the time to sort of buckle up and make sure that you're one of the companies that, you know, gets through these challenging times for sure. Yeah, I appreciate your perspective there. As we were getting started, we're talking about your busy travel schedule, and a lot of that is related to new set you're opening. So on a brighter note, that's positive. <laughs> and so can you talk a little bit about the, the recent openings? Obviously, it's been a couple of years since we've chatted, so there's a lot to talk about. But you know, what top of mind for you in terms of you know, why those locations were picked and what has you excited about the new locations? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I think the last time we talked, I think we may well have had our sort of OG farm in Brooklyn, New York, which is, you know, kind of really an R&D center where we're trying to 
you know, figure out a bunch of things, you know, can we grow initially, right? And then what software do we build to, you know, help train farmers and sort of, you know, minimize human errors in day-to-day production. And, you know, and then once you get to the point where you feel good about being able to consistently and predictably grow a lot of food all year round, how do you sell it, right? And, you know, sort of three or four years ago, as we were sort of beginning to think about that, it became quickly apparent that at scale, it definitely helps if you've got partnerships with large distribution companies. And so we set about developing a couple of really key relationships there. The first one with Gordon Food Service that are one of the largest food distributors in the country who focus, as their name implies, on food service, like, you know, chefs, restaurants. And the partnership that we have there means that we're now deploying Square Roots Farms literally on Gordon Food Service distribution centers. So we're deploying the farm, we own and operate then, right? So it's our farm teams, you know, in there growing the food. And then Gordon Food Services, you know, pretty much the major customer of the product that we're growing on those facilities. And like I said, they're literally deployed on their distribution centers, right? So we harvest, we pack, we open our door, walk into their cold storage, deliver the food, and then boom, it's on, you know, their delivery trucks out to restaurants, you know, sometimes within hours of harvest, which is pretty amazing. So we're in a program there to deploy those farms on all of their distribution centers across North America. And this summer we've opened in Wisconsin, Kenosha, Wisconsin, um, Springfield, Ohio, and then we're just about to open in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. So that'll be three new facilities that we've opened with Gordon Food Service in the last 12 months. And on an aggregate footprint, that's tripled our growing capacity this year, which is really, you know, sort of validating for for the model. And then most recently or more recently, we announced a, a similar relationship with a company called UNFI, who are, I think, the largest publicly listed food distributor in North America, they focus more on distributing food to grocery retail stores, right? So it's kind of a, you know, a very similar relationship where we're now deploying our farms on their distribution centers as well. The first one with UNFI will open just outside Minneapolis next year. And so with those two partners now, you know, we have a lot of distribution centers where we can deploy a lot of farms over the next couple of years. And you know, essentially get pretty close towards the idea of delivering local food, but a national scale. Yeah. Well, when the Minneapolis site is open, let me know because that's home for me. (laughs) So I'd love to go check it out. Yeah. Back end of next summer, we'll see you there. So Tobias, when you think about these projects, I'm curious how much planning or how much lead time, how long was this in the work? Obviously, now that it's public, you can talk about it. But, you know, what does, what do companies like UNFI and Gordon, like, you know, what are they looking for in a partner? Because obviously there's other folks they could have gone with. I'm sure these were conversations that were happening over a long period of time. And I'm curious now that when you think about it and you look back, you know, that relationship makes sense for both of you. Yeah. I mean, I think for both of them, it starts with their customer demand, right? So for Gordon Food Service, you know, the chefs in the restaurants, they service We're also seeing this mega trend of, you know, people want local food, right? More responsibly grown food. They want to support local farmers. Maybe they're even thinking that one step deeper and thinking about, you know, the environmental impact of food traveling, you know, halfway across the world. And, you know, that's why they want local, right? But whatever the reason is, local food is, you know, a very big thing for restaurants across America. So, you know, that's where Gordon Food Service started and then, you know, wanted to find a partner that, could offer that local food, but be able to do it consistently and reliably across their entire footprint, right? Because they, you know, they're very complex business already, right? And they, they really need a supply that can work with them across their entire footprint. And, 
you know, the architecture, the technology platform that we've built at Square Roots is really sort of perfected to be a partner in that type of relationship, right? Where rather than building the huge industrial scale plant factories, you know, we can all name the companies that have sort of chosen to take that approach. And there were certainly plenty of advantages to doing that. From the beginning, we decided to build a, a smaller footprint modular farm where we could very quickly and very cost effectively deploy a farm in a new market. And then by connecting all of those farms in a sort of cloud connected network, it means that any learnings from any facility is able to be shared across that network instantaneously, right? So the, the sort of bigger the network get, the faster the rate of learning and the faster the whole system improves. It's really set up you know, to work with distributors, right? And so we've been working with Golden Food Service since the, the end of 2019, five farms with them now actually, which is good, many more to go. And then UNFI, obviously, you know, different set of customers, different reasons, but, you know, lots of similarities, again, driven by customer demand, right? People going into the grocery store, actively looking for locally grown food. And now UNFI have got a way to be able to, you know, supply that to their customers again, ultimately at a national footprint. So it, you know, with both of those partners, although they're different businesses, our solution fits really nicely. When you think about the challenges inherent in, as you mentioned, keeping all these farms connected, speaking to each other, learning from each other, it feels like uh, now there's a component of what you do that's almost like a technology again, <laughs> and then you know, back to your roots, if you will. And so do you think about how you build out the team, what your current needs are going to be, and the type of skill sets that you're going to require as you think about the different needs to support you know, production at the scale? Yeah, the way you know, it probably is sort of you know biased by my technology background but I think you know five years ago when it was just you know me bouncing ideas myself in a WeWork office and you know I sort of coming from a software background right I was able to draw a map of a platform that would underpin many applications right and that's kind of a very sort of typical software architecture and that was how I thought about you know how square roots would work at scale right where you would have an underlying technology platform it was hardware and it was software, the data pipe that talked to each other. And then the applications that sit on top of that platform are the four walls of a farm in any particular market, right? So when you're working in that farm, you know, if you're a, a team member in Springfield, Ohio, right, you turn up to the Springfield, Ohio facility and you open the square root farmer tool belt, which is the, you know, sort of the application that we built to help that team, you and the app is going to know that, okay, today's Wednesday. You know, your job today is to harvest the basil, you know, here are the 10 steps to do it. You know, the app kind of gives you the instructions on how to do it. Maybe what you don't appreciate is that your, you know, Square Roots teammate in Kenosha, Wisconsin has also opened their app that day and, you know, been told that today's the day they harvest parsley and here's how you do it. And, you know, underpinning all of that is this very scalable technology platform you know, that is allowing us now to pop up these new farms and new markets really, really quickly. And then very importantly, get them up and running to hit production capacity really quickly, right? Because now every new farm is standing on the shoulders of all of the other farms that we've already opened, right? In Square Roots, we talk about pressing the basil button, right? Being able to walk into a brand new farm, you hit the basil button and boom, the farm can visit itself to grow basil that day and you're up and running and like we know what the yield is going to be 28 days later and 
you know, we'd always conceptualize that that was how it's going to be. But I think this year, especially, that has really come to fruition. And that is exactly how the system works now. It's really exciting, actually. You start to think about, you know, I know a lot of, when you think about science and vertical farming, people talk a lot about plant science, but, you know, what you're describing almost requires a need for, as you grow, data scientists as well (laughs) to analyze what's happening. You know, what do you do with all this information? Yeah, no, we have a data science team, you know, big data and analytics and, um, you know, insight, AI and all of those things like kind of part of what we do. I mean, how what I will say, though, is, you know, it doesn't really matter how clever all of this technology is if it doesn't help you grow delicious food and no one really cares at the end of the day you can't lose sight of the fact that your company lives or dies based on the quality of the food that is produced you know at each of the endpoints on that network right for that gets sold from each of the farms and for sure you know we can geek out about data science all day long but the best meetings for me are you know, the monthly product sample meetings, right, where we sit down with team members and chefs and other people whose palate that we trust and, uh, you know, just eat food and talk about what experience that kind of elicits for us. And, uh, you know, that's what keeps us honest, really. Yeah, it's great to hear. So I want to shift gears a little bit. We also recently had an initiative, completed a project with Watershed to measure emissions. And I want to, that's really important because sustainability is obviously top of mind for a lot of folks. And then I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you accomplished there. Yeah, I'm happy to actually. I'm really actually quite proud of the work that our team did there. So I think, you know, intuitively, indoor farming seems like, a, you know, a more responsible way to grow food, right? A more sustainable way to grow food. If you can eliminate supply chains and, you know, and the CO2 emissions associated with that and you use less land and use less water. But I kind of started beginning to feel maybe 18 months ago that a lot of people in the industry were kind of waving their hands around talking about sustainability, but there wasn't really too many hard numbers and sort of targets or goals out there. So we worked with Watershed that are sort of an independent third party, if you like, that will measure your carbon emissions across the entire operations. That was the first thing that we did, right, which was like CO2, are we actually using it? And what was very, the punchline there or the headline number was that in 2021, which is the last obviously full year that we did the emissions, I think we emitted something like 4,700 metric tons of CO2, right? Until we did that exercise, I would have had no idea what that meant, but it translates roughly to driving across the country and back 2,000 times in a family sedan, right? So I'm like, okay, how do we get that to zero is the question. How do we get to sort of a carbon neutral company right carbon neutral food production so the first thing you've got to do is figure out okay well where are those emissions occurring right and that's where a company like watershed can help so it turns out that 50 percent of our emissions are actually produced during the construction of these new farms right the steel that we use the concrete that we use in the foundation pads right in the manufacturing of those raw materials they're like pretty intense in terms of carbon emissions so now as we think about future farms that we're deploying you know, we've had to relook at the design, right, to sort of path the amount of steel that we use, think about different materials like carbon capture and concrete for the foundation pads. So there's a big program that we're doing there around materials to reduce emissions there. Is that part of the work you're doing with VIA Chicago? Correct. That's right. Yeah, they're our architecture partner who have been like amazing partners for us for five years, and they're really helping us lead the charge on some of these new and innovative materials. So that's really cool. The second biggest category for us was energy. Right, price surprise, I think that was about 20% of our carbon emissions. And, you know, the answer there is more obvious, which is on-site renewables, right? How do we take these farms off the grid? 
and we've got some pretty exciting news to come there next year actually so watch this space and then the third category for us was was distribution right you know the trucks that take the food farm to the store or the restaurant and so the way we've started to tackle that actually we've started that work in new york city and what we do in new york is we do a lot of the distribution ourselves in new york city and we now do that on a fleet of battery powered tricycles with cold storage units on the front and we literally cycle around town dropping our food off at all of the supermarkets that we sell to here i think about 120 supermarkets every week we get that food to so that's now you know zero emissions distribution network in new york right which is pretty cool and listen Battery powered tricycles aren't necessarily going to work in every market that we're operating in, but it's a start and it's, you know, it's teaching us how to do this. And we're on a journey where we have said, you know, explicitly that we want to line up with the sort of Paris Agreement, right, and have carbon emissions on an absolute level by 2030 and then make that zero by 2050 or sooner. And we're doing that in the context of being a very fast growing scaling company, right? So it's sort of, you know, it make the challenge to hit those targets more difficult when, you know, every single day the company's getting bigger, uh, but we're still kind of on track to half emissions. So yeah, it's really cool. We're doing a lot of good work there. I'm curious as the study was underway and once you had the findings in hand, was there anything about that that surprised you? Because I, I know, you know, people think about electricity, but, you know, probably not as much thought goes into construction, which is mentioned half of it. And so I'm wondering how much of that was surprising for you? Yeah, I mean, that was a surprise. I mean, it might be more of a surprise for you to hear that my degree is actually in civil engineering. So you would have thought I should have known about, you know, how nasty concrete was in terms of carbon emissions and dating myself somewhat. You know, when I was at school in the 90s doing civil engineering, you know, climate change wasn't really something that everyone was talking about today, you know. And uh, so, yeah, that was a bit of an eye opener for me. But again, thanks to partners like View Chicago, you know, we got the right people around us who also felt that sense of urgency and that sense of obligation, quite frankly. And, you know, like I said, I'm really proud of the work that we're doing there. And we didn't get to touch on this in our first interview, but I'm just curious how much day-to-day work do you have or do with Kimball and how involved is he in the projects going forward? Yeah. So for those listeners who don't know, so Kimball Musk is co-founder of Square Roots, executive chairman of Square Roots. I'm lucky enough to work with Kimball now for ooh, 16 or 17 years, I think. We started working together in tech, but you know, even when I first started working with him, he was already spending you know, the majority of his time in food, right? You know, He's really, really passionate about getting America off the industrial food system and onto a local sustainable food system. And, you know, 15 years ago, right, he was doing that through a chain of restaurants called The Kitchen that sources all of its food from local farmers. And that sounds like a very sort of familiar concept today, but 15 years ago, that was crazy. You know, so he's been like a real leader in that regard. And I've been very, very fortunate to, you know, be able to work really closely with him is he's kind of thought through those and frankly get inspired by him you know it's hard to be around you know someone like that for any length of time and like not be inspired and energized he's a bit of a force of nature so yeah i mean we talk you know two three times a week like he's pretty involved in square roots he you know knows all the kpis what today's challenges are and uh, all the rest of it you know he tends to think sort of you know five ten years into the future you know where the company's going and i tend to you know, think, okay, what are we doing day to day that's leading towards that vision? So yeah, it's a really nice partnership. I love working with him, actually. 
one of the uh, posts that you had on the site recently talked about just shining a light on plastics and packaging. And it's one of those, you know, wastes that we don't, those topics that we don't talk a lot about in the industry. And it's a, I guess what you would call a necessary evil for now, but I loved is that how much you broke down, you know, what you're doing, how it's an initiative at Square Roots, you know, to get to the point where you don't have to use them. So, you know, in, in line with, I'm assuming the work you've done with Watershed on Sustainability, can you talk a little bit about, you know, why it was important for you to be visible with your efforts there as well? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, transparency has been a core value at Square Roots since day one. And we do that because we believe, we hope that transparency breeds trust, right? Yeah. You can't just say to a consumer or to, you know, a teammate, you know, trust me as a sort of command, right? You have to earn that trust by being transparent all the way so people know what's going on. And we even embody that, like literally in the design of the farms by putting windows in the farm so that anyone can walk by and have a look in and see what we're doing, right? The whole idea with transparency in food supply. So, so yeah, talking about plastic packaging, the challenges that, you know, that we face there and what we think that journey is, being transparent about that, blogging about that specifically sort of comes very naturally to us. And also, you know, it is important to point out the work that has been done, right? The, you know, people understand why we need some kind of packaging, right? It helps sort of minimize food waste. It's, you know, impermeable layer to, you know, to oxygen. So it sort of, you know, keeps the food fresher longer. All those reasons, all those justifications. And then what we do today is package our product in recyclable and recycled packaging, right? So in a perfect world where all of our packaging gets recycled, there is no virgin plastic in our in our system, right? Yeah. Now, I think the reality is, is that the end consumer does not recycle everything, right? Or frankly, you know, local authorities, local cities don't have the infrastructure to be able to do that, right? So I think, you know, sort of, if we were to stop at where we currently are, right, recycled and recyclable packaging and assume we've solved the problem, I don't think that really solves the problem, right? So you've got to go a step further. And, you know, one step is to reduce the amount of packaging that's on the product. And we, you know, next year, actually in, in with our new farm in Kentucky, we'll roll out new packaging, which reduces plastic that we use by about 30%. And then we have a, a ton of conversations going on with really sort of innovative companies looking at different types of packaging, right? Whether that sort of coated uh, paper packaging, you know, there's lots of work going on with, you know, kind of mushroom-based packaging and other vegetable-based packaging. So it's a pretty interesting area, to be honest with you. And yeah, it's like a, a continual stream of innovation for us. Mushrooms are a hot topic nowadays. <laughs> I'm wondering in terms of crops, what you're seeing, what you saw, you know, obviously everything started with leafy greens, but from a, if you could call it a crop trend perspective, what are you seeing and interest in? What are you seeing, you know, folks gravitating towards or, you know, top of mind when it comes to crops that are you currently working with or might be on the horizon? Yeah, I think there are two ways to answer that, right? So as far as Square Roots is concerned, we listen to our customers and we grow what they want us to grow, right? And right now, you know, in the last 12 months, we've launched a number of mixed salad lines in our facilities. And as well as growing, we also harvest and then pack on site. And so we're able to pack really innovative salad mixes, right? With a mix of, you know, leafy greens and microgreens and they're all going together and, you know, they're really beautiful products. And customers right now are saying, grow more of those, please, right? The, you know, packaged salad industry hasn't really seen too much innovation in the last decade. And 
you know, people are really loving what we're doing there, right? So that's kind of one way to answer it. If we kind of step back and think, okay, next 50 years, right, what do we need to do? You know, we've got to be able to grow a full basket of, of produce for consumers. So how do we do that? And, you know, everyone listening to this podcast in particular is, you know, pretty sophisticated. You've got, you know, an informed audience. And so, you know, you know, right, the sort of, you know, more biomass, right, the heavier vegetable, quote unquote, the more energy is required to create that biomass. And so that then becomes a more expensive crop, right? And the name of the game is how do you drive more efficiency in your system, more efficient lighting, more efficient, you know, climate control, you know, whatever it is to bring that cost down so that those quote unquote heavier vegetables become more and more feasible in terms of economics, right? You can grow them all today. You know, in our R&D facility in Brooklyn, I think we've grown over 200 varieties, right? Eggplants and turnips and, you know, whatever, you beetroots, right? You name it, we've grown it. But the energy, you, <laughs> the energy required to grow a beetroot kind of puts that out of the reach of many people right now. But I think this is good to remember. Right? If you are a farmer in a field outdoors, you cannot look at your source of energy, which is the sun, and make it twice as efficient to reduce your costs. Right. Whereas if you are an indoor farmer, you can totally do that. Right? And that is what is so wonderful about being this technology enabled business, right, is that every day with the next breakthrough and the next insight and the next innovation, those costs come down, which then translates to these, you know, quote, unquote, heavier vegetables, right, become more and more feasible economically. And there we go. Right. So obviously, you know, strawberries and small fruiting crops like are right there you in the industry today but the way i kind of look at it sort of longer term i imagine walking into you know name your favorite supermarket let's say whole foods in brooklyn right just around the corner from me and i like to imagine lining up every single fruit and vegetable from the lightest to the heaviest and it's like, okay that's our product roadmap for the next 50 years right? and that's kind of the way that i think about it that makes sense one thing that i really applaud square roots for doing is you know just having a whole section on the site dedicated to how you think about community and i think it's you know you've got you know pictures there from the folks in wisconsin and harlem and and even students being taken on tour and i'm wondering like you know how you think about that and you know maybe tie that in with like the education of educating people of the benefits of this and, and why bringing the community into these conversations into what you're doing at square roots is important for you yeah, it's a good question, actually. So I think we've always thought about running Square Roots with a, a triple bottom line mindset, right? So do it in a way that's good for people, planet, as well as, well as profits. And then in the last sort of 12 months or so, we've really begun to formalize that people and planet aspect, right, into what we now call an, an impact strategy. And there are sort of four key pillars of our impact strategy. One is DI, right, diversity, equity, and inclusion. One is, you know, and the aim there is over time, we need to become an anti-racist company. And we're doing a lot of work, you know, working with your know, world-class consultants who are sort of embedded in our team, helping us really weave that into the DNA of the company. You know, like a lot of companies put a black square on Instagram up, you know, at the height of Black Lives Matter and sort of like tick, done, yeah, with DI. But it's like, no, 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 there's like a lifetime of work that needs to be done there. So DI is one. Employee empowerment is the, the second um, aspect, which is really all around making sure that Square Roots is a, you know, an equitable place, but you know, a really exciting place where you can come and have a great career, right, and learn lots and you know, feel empowered to become the, the next leader in this space. The third area is around environmental sustainability, right, where the aim is to become carbon neutral and then resource positive. And we talked about that through the work of Watershed, 
And the fourth pillar then back to your question is community engagement, specifically around the communities where we're deploying the farms. And so that, that sort of manifests itself in a number of ways. One, we have internal targets for hiring locally, right? So as we open a new farm in Kentucky, right, we want at least 75% of the team in that facility to be hired from that local community. So we're creating job where we're deploying these farms as well. But then also then that team, how do they get engaged and involved in the local community, right? And to your point, that can be anything from, you know, opening up the farm to tours to inspire, you know, younger kids and maybe they want to, you know, become indoor farmers one day, but, but also things that we can do in the community that are sort of, you know, values aligned with what we're, with what we're all about, right? So for example, our team in Kenosha, you know, last week they all went out and cleaned up the local river for the weekend, right? And it's just, um, you know, we want to become good players in, in those local communities as well. So yeah, like I say, it's all part of a kind of a wider impact strategy, but it's really all part of us formalizing this idea of doing things in a way that are good for people, planet and profits. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And appreciate you outlining the four pillars because I think it, it provides some context and the listener and whoever's watching understand like uh, how you think about these problems and from a strategic standpoint, as we get close to wrapping up, Tobias, is there a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently? What day of the week are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I think, I mean, you touched earlier, you know, we talked about the Gartner hype cycle. We're sort of heading into that, into that you know, we're heading into that off the back of two and a half years of COVID, <laughs> right? which have been extremely challenging, you know, and I would say primarily challenging mentally for our team right you know i'm looking at team members now that you know we've hired who we've never met in person you know i'm looking at the teams on you know on the individual farms that have you know been operating under you know covid protocols with you know distancing and masks and you know the compliance related to that it's been really tough for for you know a lot of people and you know back to i guess employee empowerment in that impact strategy one of the things you've really made sure is available you know to square roots is you know is help right for people dealing with that anxiety and that mental stress and and you know it's something that we pay a lot of attention to at square roots right and i think you know in the sort of pre-pandemic world when you're all in one office you know body language can help a lot right you can literally see someone having a tough day and you know metaphorically put your arm around their shoulder or listen and figure out what's going on and you know, when you're stuck behind a Zoom, it's harder to do that, right? So we've really had to make sure that we've gone above and beyond to make sure that, you know, people feel supported and connected and that we're able to offer the help that, you know, people need if they are, you know, facing a particularly challenging time, which again, given what we've all been through in the last two or three years, and it's, you know, I think sort of, you know, mental health support is rightly and probably belatedly, but I think now that's been normalized. And, you know, there's kind of no stigma attached to that. And, it, and it's all about kind of what support can the, the company provide. Yeah, that's very helpful, I think. Helpful for also your peers in the space to understand that it's everyone's going through the same thing. Everyone's gone through the same, you know, tough two years. And so I think it's helpful to understand that the, it's something to, that should be top of mind and should, that leaders should be considering. So one thing that I've been doing lately is leaving some space at the end of the conversation for you as having this platform. It's, you know, obviously speaking to your peers, your colleagues in the space. Do you have a message? Do you have a request? Do you have an ask of folks in the industry? And, you know, I've been leaving some time towards the end of these conversations 
to give you that opportunity if there's anything that comes to mind. Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, I mean, I think that the message right now is probably hang in there, right? Because again, you know, back to this theme of, you know, the parallels with the dot-com bubble bursting, you know, we on that kind of scary downward slide on the Gartner hype cycle. You know, this is the time when the strongest companies emerge, right? You know, when there are these challenging times, you really have to focus, right? You've got to make sure your unit economics are right. You've got to make sure you're really delivering products that customers want. You've got to make sure that your culture is solid. And, you know, the strong companies that emerge and, you know, the thing with indoor farming is without being too grand about it, but like literally the world needs this, like climate change is not slowing down. It is getting increasingly harder and more risky and more expensive to grow food outdoors. We have to come up with, you know, other ways to grow food that are more responsible and indoor farming will be part of that solution. Right. So again, this thing is inevitable. We might not fully understand the shape yet, but it is inevitable. And so for anyone thinking, wow, this is feeling really tough right now, it's like, well, well, actually, this is the time when you need to dig in and really make sure that this stuff works. Right. So, yeah. And if anybody needs any help as they're going through that, then feel free to hit me up because I'm I should say I'm lucky or I'm unfortunate to have been through sort of, you know, similar ups and downs in a couple of different industries before. It's not nice, but we will get through it. And, uh, you know, we're all going to get through it in a much stronger position for sure. I'm wondering if we're at the pets.com phase <laughs> when everything, every, there were stores branded. I remember being in New York City, seeing stores changing their name to the dot-com version <laughs> and Yahoo having a billboard in downtown. And it was like the, a lot of things going on back then. So just be thankful you didn't decide to get into crypto. You went into indoor farming instead. <laughs> yes. Well, Tobias, I want to thank, uh, thank you for taking the time. I know you've been run a bit ragged with your travels. And so hopefully you're going to have some time, if it's possible, during the upcoming holidays to rest. You and the team can get a little rest and appreciate you coming back. It's been an interesting two years, to say the least, through these conversations. And I'm sure from your front row seat as well to see what's been happening in this industry and how positive and inspiring it is, all the work that collectively everyone is doing. So I really appreciate you and I applaud all the work and all the good work the team has done over the past few years. It's really impressive. Thank you. That means a lot. And just, you know, keep on doing your great work as well, because, you know, you're providing a platform, but you're also doing a lot of education out there right through this podcast. And uh, it's really good. So thank you as well for giving us the opportunity and staying interested in Square Root. Yeah, it's always never a dull moment <laughs> in this industry. So it's really exciting to watch. So we'll send folks uh, squareroots.com for the website. And anywhere else you want to connect people? Yep. And at Square Roots Grow on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, we're pretty active on social. So follow along. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks again to Tobias for round two coming on the show, sharing his story, sharing the updates on what's happening with Square Roots. It's always fascinating to see the progress, especially when it's been a while since we've had our last conversation and just a reminder of how far this show has come. So I'm really grateful. And he's always welcome to come back on and as are all my past guests. Special thanks to our season seven title sponsor, Cultivated. If you're looking to a vertical form and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. This episode is brought to you by Indoor AgCon 2023. 
I'm so happy to have been working with the team last year. Indoor AgCon 2022 was my very first indoor farming conference. So it was really eye-opening for me. So I'll always be grateful to the team there for rolling out the carpet for me. <laughs> and I uh, really had a good time meeting a lot of past guests and excited to join them again this year. Entering its 10th year in a row, it's the largest trade show and conference for vertical farming and CEA, and it's returning to Caesars Forum Conference Center in Las Vegas on February 27th and 28th of 2023. Once again, they'll be co-located with the National Growers Association show as well, which is a really good fit for them. The conference keeps growing, and this year it's doubled in size. The expo floor now has more than 170 booths filled with new product resources and solutions to explore. You'll hear from experts, including CEOs, growers, investors, and others in the field during this full-scale educational conference. As always, you'll be able to connect with peers, grocers, and other potential new business partners at their great networking events. I haven't even gotten to the best part. The team at Indoor AgCon has given listeners of this show 20% off their full access conference pass. All you have to do is use promo code VFP, as in Vertical Farming Podcast, and sign up at indoor.ag. See you there. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co. As a reminder, I mentioned at the top of the show, if you're enjoying this episode or past episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Tune in next week for my conversation with yet another fascinating leader from the world of vertical farming. This time it's Caleb Wilkins from Renaissance Ag. We connected in Dubai courtesy of the team at Cultivated and was really looking forward to this conversation when we were back in the States. And Caleb did not disappoint. Very high energy, very informative conversation. Looking forward to sharing that with you. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.